I'd like to ask you to join me. We're looking in Luke 18. As you're turning, let me uh, mention a couple of quick things. First of all, I just want to echo what's been said. I am thankful to be a Louisiana Baptist and thankful for the impact it's had upon my life personally and for the impact upon our church. We have been the recipients of disaster relief on numerous occasions because we're in southeast Louisiana. We are so thankful for the partnership we have with the ministries, such as the Louisiana Baptist Children's Home. We love their ministry. We're thankful to partner with them. And then I'm also reminded that um, I, my wife and I did as best we could to help our children fall in love with Christ and follow Him. And we sent them off to college. And when they went to college, they went to the BCM. And there they fell in love with Christ even more. And they left LSU with a stronger faith in Christ than they came with. And I'm thankful for that. I rejoice over that. I also want to let you know, I'm just thankful for this opportunity. And thank you for the invitation to be able to open the word. I am humbled and amazed that God gives me the opportunity on a daily basis at seminary and a consistent basis at church to be able to teach and to open the word of God. Today I want us to look this afternoon at a parable, and I love the parables. Many of you have, uh, have reminded me of connections we've had, and one of those connections was Dr. Jerry Brazil. I was walking across campus, brand new student at seminary, and as I'm walking across campus, he stopped me and he said, hey, you must be new on campus. I wasn't sure that was a compliment if he could tell that just by looking at me that day, and I said, I was new on campus, and he said, are you looking for a job? And I said, I actually am looking for a job. And he said, would you like to work for me? And I did. And for the next 12 years, Dr. Brazil poured into my life as my mentor, the one who was there when my children were born, the one who um, was uh, preached my ordination service, but more so who just encouraged me to walk with Christ. Dr. Brazil used to say, a parable is a theological bombshell dropped in the midst of ignorance and unbelief. A theological bombshell dropped in the midst of ignorance and unbelief. I must confess, I think that is exactly what happens in this parable. Listen to the parable. It's a familiar parable in Luke chapter 8. Excuse me, Luke chapter 18. I'll begin, begin reading in verse 9. So he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. And the Pharisee was standing and he was praying like this about himself. God, I thank you. I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector was standing far off and he would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but he kept striking his chest and he kept saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus then said, I tell you, this one, referring to the tax collector, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The parable is a parable that is directed to a group of people. It's directed to a group of people who actually feel pretty good about themselves because they've never taken the time to really understand who they are or specifically how God views them. 
Notice the story as we look back at the, at the story. There's two men. One's a Pharisee and one's a tax collector. The Pharisee is known as the utmost of religious individuals. He's the one that everybody points at when you talk about who is a good and a righteous person at the Pharisee. As a matter of fact, many of the mothers would say to their sons, I hope you grow up to be just like him. On the other hand, there was a tax collector. Uh, as in today, none of us really enjoy paying taxes. We know it's necessary, but in those days, it wasn't enjoyed because it was also tied in with the Roman government. And that same mother who would point at a Pharisee and who would say, this is who I want you to be like, would look at their son and would say something like this, if you don't behave, this is what you're going to be like when you grow up. The tax collector was a warning to everybody. They go to the temple. It was a regular habit of theirs. They went to the temple twice a day, nine o'clock and three o'clock to pray. And when they get there, notice what happens. Notice the Pharisee first. In the parable we just read, you remember this is a story that Jesus is teaching for a purpose, for a theological point. The Pharisee then first stands up to pray. There's nothing wrong with this. It's a common way to pray. It could have been something about where he was standing, but we really don't see that within the text. But he stood up to pray. What is unusual about this is not what he did when he was praying, but what he was praying. If you'll look at the story as Jesus tells it, Jesus says, and the Pharisee in verse 11 was standing and he was praying like this about himself. His prayer was one that was self-consumed. It was about himself and his own piety. It's as if he was trying to convince God of one of two things. He was either trying to convince God of how good he was, or he was trying to convince God of how fortunate God was that he was his. It's interesting in the Greek, there's a little bit of a nuance and it says that he was praying to himself. If you think about that, some people say, well, that's silent prayer. I really don't think that's what's happened here. I think he was to himself because he was trying to inflate his own ego. And the reality is, is that he was the only one who was really listening to this prayer because God wasn't taking notice of it. And so the Pharisee prayed this self-consuming, self-congratulatory prayer. And on the other hand, there's a tax collector. And the scripture says that the tax collector stood at a distance. He was hated and despised by most, but I think there's more to it at this moment because he stood at a distance because he was overwhelmed to be in the very presence of God. Humbled and distraught when he saw himself more clearly than he'd ever seen before. By the way, before we look at the differences, and it's interesting to see the comparisons, the differences, which is what we're going to look at. Before we do that, let me remind you, first of all, of what they share in common. Both the Pharisee and the tax collector are both sinners. They both have fallen short of what God desires for their life. The difference is that the Pharisee seems to have forgotten that. The tax collector is overwhelmed with it. I read this in a place, and I'm still looking for it, but someone once said this, and here's the warning. I'm not here to beat you down. I'm here to encourage us to be the men and the women that God wants us to be. But someone once said that long years of ministry service 
and privilege have the tendency to move us away from God and cause us to get caught up on whom we are or in whom others think we are, and we forget who we really are, and sometimes we even begin to believe what we think. Notice quickly in these few moments we have some of the comparisons that are here. First of all, there's a difference in the standards of comparison. The Pharisee stood, and you'll notice in this passage that he compared himself to the worst. As a matter of fact, he says, I'm thankful that I'm not like swindlers and adulterers. And then he looks around, and in the very back, he sees a tax collector plastered against the wall. And he says, and I thank God I'm not like him. The irony of the whole situation is that if the Pharisee had been more like him, the Pharisee would have been more pleasing to God. You and I need to be careful about comparisons. You'll notice he picks the worst in order to make himself feel better. The reality is, is that we can always find somebody who's worse off than we are that makes us feel good. I teach. It's one of the opportunities God's given me as well as being a pastor, and I love both of those opportunities. When you pass out a test, one of the things that happens, you'll see that student who thought they were going to get 100, and they got the dreaded 98. And they want to make sure they're going to come and talk to you about why you counted off those two points. And by the way, there's a part, in t- part of you that wants to say, if you hang around long enough, I'm going to count off more. But in grace, you just listen to them. But you know what that same person who gets a 98 on their test does? They're not going to admit it, but their eyes are scanning the test around them so that they can find somebody who's less than a 98. We always, if we're not careful, we're always comparing ourselves to other people. And you know this in ministry. If we're not careful, we spend all of our time saying, well, at least I'm not there, or at least I'm not doing that, or at least I'm not going through that. The reality is we must quit comparing. Listen to what the tax collector did. The tax collector came and he stood in the presence of God, and here's what he said. Woe is me. The tax collector was less concerned about making himself himself feel better by comparing himself to other people and more concerned about comparing himself to who God desires for him to be. And he really was desiring for brokenness and for his pride to be destroyed. There was a difference in comparisons. There was a difference in trust. And this is one of the things you and I have to be careful about. The Pharisee stands up and he says, look, God, I'm a religious individual. As a matter of fact, he says, I fast and I tithe. By the way, you're, when you walk through those tithing sermons and you're asking the question, do you tithe before taxes or after taxes? This guy says, you know what? I tithe of everything I get. In many ways, his trust, his self-worth seems to be found in the things that he does. We talked about that a little bit this morning. I want you to know without any question, I am overwhelmed that God gives us the opportunity to pastor. I am overwhelmed at that. But I am fully aware (laughs) that I have no right to stand before God and say, look at what I did today. But in many ways, he stood and he said, you know what, my self-worth is found in the things that I have done. It's interesting, the tax collector, as he stood in the back and he beat his chest, 
what we discover is that the tax collector says, you know what? I have absolutely nothing of value to honor or to give to God. I have nothing to give him. It doesn't mean that he wasn't doing righteous things. It just means that he understood that a holy God is holy. And instead of depending upon his religious actions, he was depending upon a holy God. Notice there's a difference of focus of life. The Pharisee was concerned about what other people thought. As a matter of fact, it's a consumer mentality. He wants to make sure that people who are hearing him speak are impressed. It's the reason that he goes through this whole list of look at who I am and look at what I've done. If we're not careful, we allow what other people think to control our lives And you and I both know, because most of us have probably gone down that path at least some distance at some point, that once you start down that path, if you don't let God change your course, you're going to go into a bankrupt situation before it's over. And so he sat there and he said, you know what? Look at who I am. And the tax collector stood before God and said, I have nothing to offer. You know what this is really, you know what the base is? You know what the bottom line of all this is? There was a difference of understanding of what it means to be in the presence of God. They went to pray that day, and when they got there to pray, what began? unfold is that the Pharisee became consumed with himself, and it's almost as if he forgot that God was there. It's almost as if he was more concerned about what people thought about him and his success and his effectiveness and his religiosity than they were about what they thought about God. And you and I know, we, without any question, that we can be individuals who get so consumed with doing God things that we forget these are God things that we're doing. The Pharisee was in the presence of God and totally neglected the presence of God. Can that happen on a Sunday morning? Can we get so consumed with the details, worried about what somebody's going to say, that we forget we're in the presence of a holy God? The tax collector, on the other hand, walked into the presence of God, and he was overwhelmed at being in, the tax, in God's presence. Here's what he says. God, have mercy. He realized he didn't have anything to offer, and it was only God's mercy that was going to impact him. And notice, he says, God, have mercy on me. And in the Greek, it's very clear. He says, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. He doesn't say, I'm just one among many. He says, when I stand before God, what I'm doing is I'm focused in on my own life, and I discover clearly who I am. And I discover, you know what? I am a sinner who's been saved by God's grace. And it is by God's grace alone that I have been saved. And it is his mercy and his love and his compassion 
And it's not about, in my case, Thomas. And so the parable teaches us without any doubt an important lesson about what it means to be individuals who stand in the presence of God and we find ourselves not so full of pride that we forget God's here, but instead we find ourselves overwhelmed. Pride is without question a deadly sin. It is insidious, it is cancerous, and it blinds us without any question. And if we're not careful, we become self-righteous, self-congratulatory, and ultimately we become self-sufficient. And then, God forbid, we become useless in his presence. Now, here's the challenge to us. We parable. I remember the first time I looked at this parable. Well, I don't remember the first time. I remember a few times ago I looked at it. And I walked away, and here's what I thought to myself. God, I thank you I'm not like the Pharisee. And you know what God said? You're not like the tax collector either. So, uh, so there has to come a point in our lives where we stop and we recognize it really isn't about us. You and I, of all people, even as we were reminded this morning, as we preach Jesus, it's only Jesus who can save people. It's only Jesus who can change lives. It's not us. So you and I need to make certain that when we walk into the presence of God, we continue to find ourselves overwhelmed at what he's done in, who, in our lives, that we are even saved at all, and that he, by his grace, gives us the chance to open the word and teach and preach and care and love. Listen to this verse. This is what the Lord says. This is in Isaiah 66. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where could you possibly build a house for me? And where would be my resting place? My hand made all these things and they came into being. And then he says this. But on this one I will look favorably. One who is humble and contrite. One who trembles at my word. Similarly, he says in Isaiah 57, I live in a high and a holy place. But listen, if we're going to talk about dwelling with Christ, he says, I live in a high and holy place, but I also live with him who is broken and humble in spirit. May you and I find ourselves always overwhelmed that God is God and that he loves us at all. And if there is, listen, any good thing that happens in our lives or in our ministry, it is only because we have a good and gracious God. It's about him. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the reminder found in your scripture. We thank you for the way you, um, you prick our hearts with your truth. And I pray that 
you would help for us not to feel beaten down by your word, but instead to be encouraged because you love us and you've saved us. And God, the rest of our lives, we just live for you, but we want to do so not with pride, but with humility, thankfulness for your grace and your life. God, may your name always be lifted high, for it's in your name we pray. Amen.